Why have we fasted and you see it not? Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it? Behold, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure and oppress all your workers. Behold, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to hit with a wicked fist. Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice to be heard on high. Is such the fast that I choose, a day for a person to humble himself? Is it to bow down his head like a reed and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Will you call this a fast and a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the fast that I chose, to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house, when you see the naked to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh? Then shall your light break forth like the dawn, and your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call, and the Lord will answer. You shall cry, and he will say, Here I am. O Lord, have mercy on us. Thanks, Thanks be, be to, to God. God. The epistle lesson is from 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And I, when I came to you, brothers did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling, and my speech and my message were not implausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? 
but we have the mind of Christ. O Lord, have mercy on us. Thanks Thanks be be to God. God. We rise for the reading of the Holy Gospel. The Holy Gospel appointed for this Sunday is taken from the Gospel of St. Matthew, the fifth chapter, beginning in verse 13, as we continue on with Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Jesus said, You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. O Lord, have mercy on us. Thanks be to God. Well, grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. The text for this morning's message is from the epistle lesson. I thought I'd read to you the first five verses. And so it was with me, brothers and sisters. When I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I came to you in weakness with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. This is our text. In the name of Jesus, who is our strength, our song, and our salvation. Stories define us. Stories form and shape our identity. Stories inform where we came from. Stories project where it is that we're going. Stories affect our well-being. With every story that we hear, read, listen, or watch, our mind makes cognitive and emotional connections that shape our self-understanding, that influence the ways in which we relate to other people, and that color our perspective of the world. We have shared stories. Stories that connect us, stories that unite us, stories that bind us to one another. But we also have stories that can divide, stories that can divide families, stories that can divide 
a nation. We each have our own story. They're unique. Stories that set us apart from one another. We may have the story of how it was that we got a scar, or how we came into a line of work, how we fell in love, how we fell out of love. We might have stories of tragedy. We may have stories that are filled with joy. Our stories are narratives, narratives of love, narratives of fear and failure and, failure, uh, and, and stories of feats that we've accomplished. And all of these stories collectively give us meaning. They make meaning of our lives. Like a cocktail that is a mixture of spirits and fruit juices and other flavored ingredients, all of these stories are combined. They're, they're mixed together and they're shaken together in us, so to speak. And each of us is uniquely flavored. But all of these stories make us out to be who we are today. And so what story or stories define and shape and transform and inspire you? Well, God has a story, the grandest story of all, and we're a participant in it. St. Paul is a man who was shaped by many stories, and he had many stories to tell. If there was someone who I'd like to sit down and talk with, it would be St. Paul. I mean, it would be so wonderful to sit around a campfire with him and just listen to him go on and tell the story about how he was once a devout and, and sincere and passionate Pharisee. I think it would be so mind-boggling just to hear his version of Christ's call on his life as he was riding on to Damascus to actually persecute some Christians, but then to literally be knocked off the horse and for Christ to call him out of a life of legalism into a life of grace in Christ. Forgiveness where he would serve his living Lord, the one that he was once persecuting. It'd be interesting to listen to him talk about how it was that he had to undergo a transformation of his worldview because of his conversion to Christianity. A process that took like more than a decade. It'd be interesting, wouldn't it, to hear his account of Lydia coming to faith and then seeing her whole family also be baptized. To hear the story of how the, the, the jailer in Philippi got on his hands and knees and said, Lord, or said, Paul, what must I do to be saved? And he said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And then the jailer and his family were baptized. You can just imagine Paul telling that story with such enthusiasm and excitement and joy. But it would also be interesting, wouldn't it? To listen and talk about taking up the cross of Christ. Hearing his stories about being beaten with rods and stones. and Hearing how he was flogged and put in prisons. It would be interesting to hear about the stories where he talks about how he's overcome by rivers and bandits and his own countrymen. 
how he was in danger when he walked around the city streets and how he's out in danger when he's out in the countryside. Wouldn't it be interesting to have him talk about the time that he was shipwrecked? Yes, Paul would just fill the night with stories. But when it was all said and done, St. Paul would no doubt say to you and to me, he would say, I really have but one story to tell. And it's a story of redemption. It's a story of a God who loved me, yes, even me, a Pharisee, one who was persecuting Christ, that a God so loved me that he sent his only son into the world, the very one I was persecuting. He sent his son into the world to forgive me. And it was that son, Jesus, who spoke to me on the road to Damascus and called me to be his disciple. In the words of our text, Paul says, For I'm resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Paul tells wonderful stories, and they always get back to Christ. As I was looking at this message and preparing for it, I went into the book of Acts to see the story that Paul would tell. And in Acts 22, we hear him tell his story. Just listen to these words and picture yourself around, well, in that crowd, but maybe around a campfire. He says, I'm a Jew, born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city. There's a story in that, isn't there? I studied under Gamaliel. Gamaliel was a great rabbi in Paul's day. And I was thoroughly trained in the law of our ancestors. I was just as zealous for God as any of you are today. I persecuted the followers of this way to their death, the way being Christians. I arrested both men and women, and I threw them into prison as the high priest and all the council call themselves. I even obtained letters from them and their associates in Damascus and went there to bring these people as prisoners to Jerusalem to be punished. But about at noon hour, as I came near Damascus, suddenly a bright light from heaven flashed all around me. And I fell to the ground and I heard a voice say, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? I asked. I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting, he replied. My companions saw the light, but they did not understand the voice of him who, who was speaking to me. What shall I do, Lord? I asked. Get up. Get up, the Lord said. And go into Damascus, and there you will be told all that you have been assigned to do. My companions led me by the hand into Damascus because the brilliance of the light had blinded me. A man named Ananias came to see me. He was a devout observer of the law and highly respected by all the Jews living there. And he stood beside me and he said, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very moment, I was able to see him. And then he said, the God of our ancestors has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear words from his mouth. And you will be his witness to all people of what you have seen and heard. And now, what are you waiting for? Get up 
Get up and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. And when I returned to Jerusalem and was praying at the temple, I fell into a trance and I saw the Lord speaking to me. Quick, he said, leave Jerusalem immediately because the people here will not accept your testimony about me. Lord, I replied, these people know that I went from one synagogue to another to imprison and beat those who believe in you. And when the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed, I stood there giving my approval and guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. But then the Lord said to me, Go. Go, Paul. Go, Saul. For I send you far away to the Gentiles. What a powerful story. Powerful because of the grace of God exhibited in that story to a sinner like Paul. One who persecuted the church. One who hated the people of the way. But now who one who was called by Christ himself. Forgiven of his sin. Called, even though he was unworthy, to be an apostle to the Gentiles. I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Christ and Him crucified. Paul's story is dramatic, isn't it? Nothing like mine. If I was to tell you my story, my story would be boring by comparison, for it doesn't have all the adventure of St. Paul. But it has the same Christ calling me to faith. It has the same Christ forgiving a sinner like Paul. It has the same baptism where my sins were washed away. That's the story. That's the story of God in Christ working in my life. And you have a similar story of God working in your life. And when it comes right down to it, I really have one story to tell. It's the story of redemption. Jesus' story is not a set of propositional truths. Carl Medeiros writes, The gospel is not a debate or a list of things to believe. The gospel is a person. Jesus Christ is the gospel. He is the truth. He is the point. He is the one who embodies all of the salvation, redemption, forgiveness, freedom, stuff himself. And because he is a personality, he does not require doctrinal mastery to connect connect with the individual. Oh, there's a place and a time for propositional truth. But Jesus calls us to simply tell his story. What's Jesus' redemptive story in your life? Well, Jesus' redemptive story connects us to God's plan. A plan that was already birthed in God's heart from eternity, if you can imagine that. It was a plan that was promised in the garden when God said to his rebellious 
man and woman, Adam and Eve, that one of their descendants would crush the head of Satan. It connects us to God's plan where he faithfully kept his promise throughout the ages, even despite the unfaithfulness of his people. And he did so. He kept his promise in the most bizarre of ways, in many ways. Jesus' redemptive story in your life not only is about God's plan, but it also unites us. His plan unites you and me to a people, to a nation that transcends all ages and transcends all languages and cultures and skin colors. It unites us to people in the past, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to Rahab and Ruth and Tamar. And he unites us to the apostles. It unites us to Christians all around the world. It unites us to our brothers and sisters in Christ in Korea and China, Brazil, Rwanda, everywhere. It connects us to people who are already in the glories of heaven, the church triumphant, many of our loved ones who are already there. That's Jesus' redemptive story in your life. It unites us to a people. It gives us identity. It's a story that announces pardon for our sin. Last week we heard that Jesus is our righteousness, our holiness, and our redemption. Yes, Jesus' redemptive story for us is one of forgiveness. And for many of us, it began in the waters of holy baptism where he came to us and he called us by name and he washed away our sins and he promised to be our Lord and Savior. He promised to walk with us all the days of our life and he promised to walk with us right through the valley of death that leads into eternal glory. And we live in that pardon and we live in that peace day after day after day because of the blood Christ shed for us. But in Jesus' redemptive story, we're not just passive participants in that story. But God calls us and he invites us to be active actors in that story. Not pretend actors, but actors acting ourselves as we live out the redemptive story in our own lives. You see, Jesus' story of redemption in our life defines our purpose. Just yesterday I was having breakfast with some of the men in our congregation. And we were talking about God's call on our life and how it affects us as, as maybe a, a husband or a, a father or in our various vocations, whether that be an oral surgeon or an, or an optometrist or a machinist or a, a foreman or whatever it might be. And the question was asked, what makes us different than those who do not yet believe in Christ as their Savior. And we discussed that. And we began to realize that the difference is that we live in God's love and forgiveness each and every day. The difference is that we know that Jesus and His love for us has made a, made a call on our life. And when we go out and serve as a, as a, as a husband, we, we go out and we serve and we love our wife just as Christ loved us and gave Himself for us. We love our children because we see them as gifts from God, our Heavenly Father, that they're a treasure to us. 
We go out and we serve in the communities, in our various vocations, our jobs. And we see it not as just some laborious thing, but we see that God has uniquely gifted us all, even for sometimes the mundane things of life. But we go out and we serve Him by serving others. And we're really carrying out all of His purposes. And so Jesus' redemptive story defines our purpose, but it also drives our potential. St. Paul says, I can do everything through Christ who strengthens me. He lived with that kind of confidence, knowing that he was going forth in the name of Jesus Christ. And so no matter what it was that he faced in his life, no matter what obstacles he might have, he knew that he could overcome through Christ. He says, I become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. And I do this all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share in its blessing. He could find it his way as a Jew to eat with a Gentile. And he could relate the Gentiles and be the bridge builder to the Jews. He could look at a slave or a master and treat them equally the same. Because he saw that people, the people that he was called to were loved by God and God desired a relationship with them. And so it drove him to accept people as they are and to love them into the kingdom proclaiming a Savior who is Jesus. But Jesus' redemptive story also assures us of permanency. There are so many things changing around us. We know our own lives are slowly, eventually eroding, coming to an end. That when the final analysis comes, really we take nothing with us. But there is one thing that is permanent. And that is something that can never be taken away from us. And that is the permanency of our eternal life. In Jesus, we have the promise of everlasting life. Death is not the end for us. And because we know that death is not the end for us, it even gives us reason to rejoice and to live each and every day in the security of God's love and forgiveness. And in that victory today, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love Him. And this is a story, Jesus' story, It's a story that Jesus sends us to propagate. We're to share it. To tell it to others. And it really is a simple story. It's as simple as saying, Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. You don't need to know, we don't need to know all the ins and the outs of propositional truth and theology. As important as that might be at times. We simply need to tell the story of a God who loved the world so much that he sent his only begotten son into it to die for us. And so he sends us out to be the salt of the earth, to be the light of the world. Can you think of a more influential statement in your life than these of our own Savior Jesus in our gospel reading? Let your light shine. Let the light of Christ so shine before others that they may see your good deeds and 
glorify your Father who is in heaven. We do not need to speak or share Jesus' story with eloquence or with the use of gimmicky devices. We might even find ourselves sometimes as we try to tell the story of Jesus that we tell it with weakness, that there's maybe some fear, that we're trembling, that there's a nervous quiver in our voice when we bring up the the matter of Jesus, when we bring up his name. We may not have persuasive words or arguments, but we have the story, the redemptive story of Jesus dying on the cross and rising from the dead. And in that story, and that story alone, is the power, the Holy Spirit power of God to open up hearts and to make them receptive and to draw people to the cross and the empty tomb and to create faith where there is none, to create hope where there's only hopelessness, a hope focused in Christ. And so, yes, there are many, many stories that shape us. But none quite like the story of Jesus. And it's a story that we're to tell and share with others. When it comes right down to it, when you get to know me, I really have only one story to tell. And it's the story of redemption. Let me tell you about my Savior, and yours. Amen. And now may the peace of God which surpasses all understanding guard and keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.